from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Friends, good morning. Let's do that again. Friends, good morning. My name is Rebecca Lamont. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church. And it's a joy to welcome you all into this time of worship, whether you're here in the sanctuary at the corner of Peachtree and 16th Streets or joining us online or by radio or television, how good it is to gather together to worship. If you're here in the room, our tradition is to take a moment and move around and greet one another in the name of Jesus Christ. Our first scripture reading comes from Psalm 98. Please turn with me to page 521 of the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him victory. The Lord has made known his victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the earth with righteousness and all the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 13. In your pew Bibles in the New Testament section, page 103. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a privilege to share with you today as we install a new class of elders and commission new Stephen ministers. When I was invited to give this sermon, first thing I did was go to my brother-in-law, Ron, who has a seminary background. Ron, I think I'm going to give a sermon. Help, I need some good sermon jokes. And Ron said, I only have one joke, and it might not even be appropriate. Oh, okay, let's hear it. All right, then. Good Jews don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Good Protestants don't recognize the Pope as the head of the church. 
and good Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store. <laughs> oh, Ron, <laughs> I see what you mean. <laughs> but actually, it's perfect, because what I want to talk about this morning is recognizing God. The theological term for recognizing God is discernment. In our Presbyterian church order, the basic work of the session, our active elders, is to discern the way of our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta in following him. However, all of us are called to discern, to recognize God. We're all here now, whether physically in this room or streaming, because in some way each of us has heard Jesus' call to follow him. But before we actually can follow him, we have to recognize where he is and see which direction he's moving. So let's look at today's lectionary text together to see how they can help us recognize where God is at work, in what direction God is moving. You might like to follow along with me in your pew Bibles as we start with the ancient text of Psalm 98, which celebrates a moment in which God makes himself known, reveals himself and his work to all the ends of the earth. Psalm 98 is one example of an old, old pattern or genre of biblical song, a genre that is among the very most ancient pieces of literary tradition that were brought into scripture by the biblical writers. The Bronze Age cultural context for this genre is a victory celebration, but not an aggressive empire-building victory. The Hebrew word that is here translated in the NRSV as victory is very often translated as salvation. And some contemporary translations do, in fact, use the word salvation here in, in this psalm. The Hebrew root, root yasha, to save, to deliver from harm, is also the source of the names Joshua and Jesus. It connotes defense and protection. This type of song would have been sung by a community who had been in grave danger, whose very existence was threatened, and who has now been saved. Archaeology and anthropology help us imagine the Bronze Age cultural context that, of the victory celebration that would produce this song. The men of the village had all gone out to take a stand against invaders who want to take over the village's olive groves, their orchards, their vineyards, their barley and wheat fields, their water wells, their pastures, even their homes. And as the men return victorious, the women and children come running out to greet them, banging their hand drums, stamping their feet, shouting, cheering, having a raucously joyous celebration. Something like the energy of a Super Bowl win or an NCAA basketball championship. And this song of raucous joy comes into our Psalter as poetry, as a metaphor. Our God is not a military savior, dressed in armor, wielding weapons. We follow a foot-washing savior, clothed in complete vulnerability, nailed to the cross. The function of the victory metaphor is to show what it feels like for us 
when God accomplishes God's goals. Great joy. The great exuberant laughing relief that we feel when we had been anxious, worried, fearing heartbreak and disaster for ourselves and those we love. But instead, everything actually turns out to be just fine, completely different from what we had feared, a positive good that we never imagined, the kind of joy that lifts the weight from your heart and makes you want to laugh and dance and sing. Who feels the joy when God wins? Well, first of all, God's very own people, us, but notice in our text, also all peoples of the earth and even all creation, the sea, the sea creatures, the hills, the rivers, all the earth. Our senior pastor Tony has a saying, if it's not good news for all people, then it's not the gospel. Psalm 98 suggests that the good news is for all peoples and all creation, or else it's not the gospel. So first, we can recognize where God is at work by the emotional results, great joy for all. The psalm says at the end that our joy is rooted in God's justice, which is marked by righteousness and equity. In secular culture, righteousness may have a negative connotation, like self-righteous. And equity may sound possessive and materialistic, like our net worth. But those meanings are not at all in the Hebrew words that these English words try to translate. The Hebrew behind righteousness is not what we do to aggrandize ourselves. It's how we rightly relate to others. Broadly, righteousness means right relationships, healthy relationships. In the context of God's justice, righteousness most often means the exercise of power to protect the powerless, such as a day laborer seeking his unpaid wages or a widow seeking a means of support. The goal of righteous justice is for all to stand upright that no one be allowed to rise up by pushing another down. The Hebrew behind equity is not what we accumulate, but what we share. It is fairness based on trust in God's sufficiency. Equity respects the needs of all, as well as the gifts and the competencies of all. Equity seeks the well-being of all. And this is the kind of righteousness and equity that God works to create and that helps us recognize where God is at work. Our beautiful passages from the Gospel of John and from the first epistle of John, which I will also share with you, our third lectionary text from the day. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. The Gospel of John and the Epistle of John make crystal clear that God's way is the way of love. But don't miss it there throughout the Old Testament as well. It's just as clear in our psalm in the first stanza. God's remembrance, God's motivation, what's in God's mind and heart when God goes to work is God's steadfast love. So we see that following God at work will lead us in the direction of righteousness of equity, of joy, all rooted in love. 
We haven't yet touched on the new song that our psalm urges us to sing. God does marvelous, miraculous things that call for new songs. I'm not going to read aloud the fourth lectionary passage for today, but it comes from a familiar story. During this time between Easter and Pentecost, the lectionary takes us through the book of Acts. And in today's passage, Peter is in the home of the Gentile, Cornelius, where he realizes the meaning of the very strange vision that he had had the day before. In his vision, he saw a huge sheet filled with all kinds of animals coming down from the heavens. All kinds of four-legged animals, all kinds of birds, all kinds of reptiles. And Peter hears a voice telling him to kill and eat. But Peter knows that scripture forbids him to eat many of these animals. They're all unclean. So he protests, no way. I've never eaten unclean food. But then in the, in the vision, the voice tells Peter, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And the next day at Cornelius' home, Peter is astonished to see that the Holy Spirit has been given to Gentiles, outsiders, to scripture's rules for a holy life. And Peter suddenly realizes that God's work sometimes breaks God's own rules. I suggest that Peter's vision can help us understand what Paul means when he says to the Colossians, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Peter's vision means that Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, makes clean, holy, sacred, all of humanity and all of creation. Through Jesus, God has reached out to embrace and draw in all things, everything, inside the boundary lines of holiness and sacredness that those hundreds of rules in Leviticus define in such detail. Jesus doesn't erase the law. He doesn't obliterate the boundaries of the sacred. Instead, he brings everything and all of us within them. He makes us all insiders. He fulfills the law and its demands for holiness by filling it full with all of humanity and all of creation. Very good news. Scripture is full of stories of God at work through paradox, through reversal, through rule bending and breaking, through the marvelous and the impossible in game-changing ways that take us way outside the box. If we only look inside the box for signs of God at work, if we never sing a new song, we may very well miss God's most important work. So here then are the marks of God at work signs we can look for and confidently follow. Righteousness, that is healthy relationships. Equity, that is respectful fairness. Joy for all people and all of creation, all motivated by love. But what about those dark times when we see none of these signs? They're all missing, far away, impossible. 1 John assures us that God's victory, God's saving work, happens through faith. 
That is, through trusting that God really is at work. But what does that mean? How does that work in real life? A little insight into this mystery came to me some years ago in those exhausting, bone-tired days as an older mom raising small children with undiagnosed neurological differences, with needs and responses unlike any of those babies in any of those parenting books, and I had them all. It was one of those late afternoons when much still needs to happen between now and bedtime, but energy is low. Everyone is worn down from the stresses of the day. Everyone is at the end of their rope. Relationships are frayed. Patience is breaking. And the mood is anything but joyful. And mom has absolutely no idea what to do. Then a tiny little prayer came to me out of the blue, a gift of pure grace. The prayer that came to me was, what does love want to bring into this situation? I see now that to put myself in the posture of asking the question meant I was also opening myself to the possibility that I might receive an answer opening myself to trust, to have faith, that God was right there in that crisis with us. To pause, to listen for an answer, cracked open my mind just a little bit, just barely enough, so that I could suddenly recognize the gesture, the tone, the words that were the gifts of gracious love into that moment, the way out, of the bad scene, the way to pivot back toward relational health, righteousness, back toward balance and well-being, equity, back toward peace, shalom, and a quiet but rich joy. Well, we all lived through it, and the challenges in life have changed, but that prayer has stayed with me, and now I offer it to you as we search for where Jesus wants to lead us in those times when God's way seems obscure, ambiguous, perplexing, or impossibly remote and far away, we can pray the question and listen trustingly for an answer. What does love want to bring into our families, into our friendships, into our communities, into our church, into our world. And then let's get ready to sing a new song. Amen.
given today, these gifts given in the days to come, bring honor and glory to you to live out your love, righteousness, and equity. We pray this in your name. Amen.